Hi, this is Sharon Levitt of the Tyndale Momentum Book Team at Tyndale House Publishers. I'm talking today with authors Jonathan Sands and Wallace Henley about their new book, God and Churchill, how the great leader's sense of divine destiny changed his troubled world and offers hope for ours. Jonathan Sands is an international public speaker on the lifetimes and leadership of his great-grandfather, Sir Winston Churchill, Britain's wartime prime minister. Over the past 10 years, he has endeavored to continue his great-grandpapa's legacy and bring Churchill alive for future generations. Author of more than 20 books, Wallace Henley is a senior associate pastor at Houston's Second Baptist Church and co-author with Jonathan Sands on God and Churchill. Henley's career of more than 40 years has spanned newspaper journalism, politics, academia, and the church. Welcome, Jonathan and Wallace. Thank you, Thank you Sharon. Great to be with you. Oh, thanks for taking some of your time to discuss your new book, God and Churchill. Before we begin, I just want to congratulate you on the terrific response the book is receiving. The foreword was written by James Baker, former chief of staff under the Reagan administration. You have endorsements from Oz Guinness, James Humes, and other notables. Publisher Weekly calls God and Churchill a meaty primer on Churchill's personal beliefs in public life and noted how the book benefited from Jonathan's intimate knowledge of his great-grandfather and Wallace's fine journalistic acumen for convincing facts. Though there have been many books written about Sir Winston Churchill, God and Churchill is unique. So I just thought it'd be fun to discuss what makes it so unique. Um, I'd like to start off by talking about one of the key points the book makes on the similarities in Churchill's era and the time in which we now live. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, this, well, okay. Yeah, this is Wallace, and, and the similarities are quite striking. Uh, first of all, we think about the fact that Churchill faced a power that was seeking global dominance, and uh, Hitler's Third Reich was to rule the entire world. Uh, in this age, we face global powers. We faced during the Cold War communism that wanted to establish a communist world rule. And now we face a global caliphate threat uh, from, from uh, radical Islam. So we face very similar circumstances uh, externally in terms of our nations. But internally, there were also great similarities. For example, Churchill faced a society that was somewhat languid. They did not want to fight. They, they had lost their sense of identity. So many, many similarities between our times and Churchill's times. Hmm. Jonathan, did you have anything to add on that? I think Wallace pretty much covered it perfectly. I mean, there are situations that we're facing today that we really do need to start paying attention to, and certainly uh, the, uh, the rumblings of what's happening in the Middle East is somewhere that we really should be taking our focus on and taking a look at the agreement that's recently, well, is about to be finalized um, over the nuclear deal with Iran. That's something that I think great-grandpa would be very concerned about and something that he would shake the world and say, wake up and, and look at this. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we live in this world of political correctness, and for the most part, that's just kind of how we operate in the schools. I've, I've been hearing and reading about 
the problems that they're seeing that's um, the developing in children who uh, have this sense that everything you say has to be politically correct. But Churchill didn't seem to know about that at all. Uh, can you help us understand what Churchill's leadership style was and how that style of not political correctness might benefit our world today? Jonathan, would Churchill you like to address that? Or, oh, Wallace, go sure. right ahead. Um, <laughs> would, um, if I may go ahead. Um, sure. Churchill, Churchill didn't have time for such humdrum. If you, if you look at Churchill's life, you know, the man wasn't just a politician or indeed an author. He authored over 40 books. Uh, he painted 537 paintings in his lifetime. He was a bricklayer, a tiler. You know, he built a, a house for his, his uh, youngest daughter, a little playhouse for her. You know, he read thousands and thousands of documents and made hundreds and hundreds of speeches. He was a war correspondent and indeed participated in several wars, including the First World War and indeed obviously as Prime Minister of the Second World War. So Churchill didn't have time to mess around with words. And political correctness, you know, people take offense far too easily at things. And this is what causes conflict. And great-grandpa, I, I firmly believe, would, as I say, shake this world and say, come on, there, there are much more serious things that we need to look at and we need to be focusing on. And political correctness is, is really not one of them. So, you know, I, in Churchill's time, there was just no time to do that. And it's a shame that we have the time on our hands today to, to focus on such um, such a waste of time, really. Yes, and I, I think in terms of his leadership style, that Churchill, long before in the 21st century, it has become somewhat uh, voguish to talk about servant leadership. Uh, Jim Collins and others have written books exploring that. But Churchill was really a practitioner of servant leadership long before these ideas surfaced again in the 21st century. Now, we know that the person who originated that, of course, was Jesus of Nazareth when he mm -hmm. talked to his disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 20. But Churchill saw himself as serving his people. One of the contrasts between Churchill and Hitler, Hitler wanted to be the master of his people, but Churchill wanted to be the servant of his people. Mm. And that's a profound contrast. Mm. Yeah, and that was one of the things I found so interesting in the book, all the different contrasts and similarities um, between those two leaders, but how they played themselves out were dramatically. One was led to horrible destruction, and the other one uh, saved a nation and really the world. So I, I appreciated that about your book. Sharon, one of, yes. one of the things that, um, that, that would be, from the point of view of Churchill's leadership and, and the fact that, as I said, political correctness was not mm -hmm. something he looked at. If you look at the situation in, in the 1930s when Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin had the facts in front of him that Hitler was rearming and the rate that he was rearming, but he didn't want to offend Hitler in any mm -hmm. shape or form. Well, while, while well, we're waiting for Jonathan yes. to, come, to come back, let me just uh, continue to talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit. Yeah, thanks. Because, because one of the things that stands out in Churchill's leadership style he did not lead by platitude and triumphalism. Mm -hmm. That's, those are two of the primary characteristics of our time. Mm -hmm. that, uh, in, in fact, a lot of the religious talk that we hear now, and I've been in the political arena a long time, and so much of the religious talk we hear now is, is just platitude. It's surface stuff. We have candidates who cannot really identify their favorite Bible verses, for example. 
but mm-hmm. also it's very triumphalistic. We can win. We can do it. Mm-hmm. In contrast, Churchill told the people a hard truth. Mm-hmm. He said, blood, sweat, tears, and toil lie ahead. Mm-hmm. But he also couched that in hope. So it was not empty triumphalism. Yes. He also had a very very profound worldview that so that he could understand what Hitler really was all about. So we have these contrasts working uh, powerfully in Churchill between Churchill and Hitler and the similarities in our time and his. Yeah. And Jonathan, are you back now? I am back. Yes. Sorry about that. Wonders, wonders of technology. <laughs> Yes. Um, you were continuing on uh, about the political correctness. Did you want to finish your thought? Yes, that would be, that would be great. Thank you. As I was saying, um, if you look at the dangers of political correctness, if you look at the 1930s and you see how Stanley Baldwin was, had the facts of how quickly Hitler was rearming and how he was achieving this, yet he chose to ignore it. When push came to shove in 1936, and my great-grandfather put him in a corner where he was forced to accept this and also forced to start rearming Britain, he promised to do that, but did it incredibly slowly Mm. because he was afraid of offending Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. You see... If, if Stanley Baldwin, instead of, being, uh, instead of worrying about offending um, Adolf Hitler and being politically correct, he had actually rearmed Britain, then in 1939, we would never have needed to go to war because we would have been the dominant army and Hitler would have had to back down. So this is the danger that one faces in this day and age with political correctness. Yeah, it, ha- it really does have... Um, long-term effects and some that are very dangerous and you can certainly see the similarities which is why I think your book gives a a lot of hope Um, but I did want to talk back to Churchill you know he you talk in the book a lot about the driving motives that were within Churchill that caused him to act as boldly as he as he did and you named one of those motives as his focus on what he said was preserving Christian civilization. Did Churchill really see himself as preserving Christian civilization? Well, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. about his worldview and the depth of his worldview, because he saw what Hitler was about. He saw that Hitler was in contrast to everything that Churchill understood as Christian civilization. Mm -hmm. Churchill even used the term a certain way of life. That's the Mm -hmm. way he understood Christian civilization, one in which there was human dignity, there was human equality, there was freedom of expression. All of these things Hitler was opposing. He was killing his enemies. He was killing those that were deemed not worthy of being part of his German community. So consequently, Churchill contrasted that with Christian civilization, and he was not afraid to say so. So he was very passionate in its defense. And and you both conclude that Churchill was a Christian. Why are you convinced that this is so? Uh, Why is it not spoken of or just widely known when so much research has been done about him? Because Churchill himself actually confessed to believe in God. And indeed, in a conversation, obviously, to to qualify as a Christian, you need to actually believe in Jesus. And in a conversation that he had with um, with uh, General, Mon- with, sorry, with Field Marshal Montgomery, uh, he was very clear at, at his attitude towards Jesus that uh, Jesus has been unsurpassed in his mission to saving sinners. So you know, he acknowledged that 
he acknowledged there that, that um, obviously God is the only one who could forgive sins. So he therefore acknowledged through his words that he firmly believed that Jesus was obviously the Son of God. And also from this, you know, the quotes that he makes, things like the Sermon on the Mount, that he claims they were the la- that was the last word in ethics. You know, and, and if we follow that more closely, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the more likely we are to succeed in our endeavours. You know, these were, were stark things that he actually said. And there was actually one occasion during the Second World War. Uh, I mean, there were obviously many occasions this happened, but there was one particular occasion during the Second World War, during the Blitz in 1940, when he and Commander Walter Thompson were, were walking uh, very late at night in St. James's Park, which is very close to Number 10 Downing Street. And suddenly, a loud explosion was heard, and great-grandpa ran back to go and see, and exactly where he had been standing, this massive bomb had exploded and left a large crater. If Churchill had been there a few moments longer, he too would have, well, he would have become part of that crater. Mm -hmm. So... He looked, at, he looked at Walter Thompson, and, and Thompson really hoped that this would teach Churchill a lesson and that he would back down from wanting to put himself in unnecessary danger. And Churchill looked at him with an eerie confidence and said, don't worry, there is someone looking after me besides you. Well, Thompson completely utterly misunderstood what he was talking about and said, do you mean Sergeant Davis? <laughs> to which my great-grandfather looked, uh, my great-grandfather sort of shook his head and said no. And he pointed to the sky and he said, I have a mission to perform. And that person intends to see it is performed. So once again, we see Churchill acknowledging it, uh, acknowledging God and acknowledging that, that there is something directing his life. If if you I, I I have I mean I could I can go on I mean, there's, there's an instance in South Africa when he's um, when he's escaped from the Boers in South Africa and I'll leave you with this this final piece of of, of evidence um, on this but he said when when de- uh, trying to determine which door he was going to knock on otherwise he was going to starve to death or he was going to die of thirst he had to choose a door and it could hold an enemy behind it who would shoot him or a friend behind it who would help him. And he said in in absolute despair, I realized with awful force that no exercise of my own feeble wit and strength could save me from my enemies. And without the assistance of that high power, which interferes in the eternal sequence of causes and effects, more often than we are always prone to admit, I could never succeed. Hmm. And And I think also... I think also, Sharon, that yes. There, yeah, yes, there are those who would like to freeze Churchill in the early period of his life when he did go through seasons of unbelief. Mm-hmm. And they would like to freeze him there. But Churchill himself said that had I not moved forward from those times, I would have made myself quite a nuisance. So he himself acknowledges that he did not stay in that unbelief. But there's an agenda in our secular age to try to make Churchill as secular as possible. One writer even calls him a, uh, an atheist, which yeah. is preposterous in light of the, of, of the load of evidence we have in our book. Yeah. Well, I, I really, really appreciate that, um, the humility that he showed, and, and just wonder if there is uh, how much of a connection that humility um, played in his success and his ability to preserve Christian civilization. Um, just one last question for you both, uh, 
if you'd each take a moment and just tell us, tell me and tell our listeners, what is your greatest hope for the message of God and Churchill for those who read it? Uh, when we, uh, once we had gathered the evidence together, it became very clear that beyond proving that great grandpa was neither an agnostic nor an atheist, um, it we had also discovered times at Churchill's life that couldn't be explained unless God had actually intervened in it, as Churchill maintained. Once that had been established, it became very clear what the overall purpose of God and Churchill was. It was a book of hope, hope that if God did truly work in great-grandpa's life and did work tirelessly throughout the Second World War, and we can see that as well, then it is entirely possible that God is not only working in our individual lives, but also actively working in the world today. Yes. Oh, that that says it perfectly, Sharon. That is wonderful. And that was the hope that it gave me, because I can, I think I, like many other people, can sometimes be tempted to despair but your book was one that just filled me with hope and and that is uh, our hope at Tyndale that this book would reach many and give them the hope that uh, God can raise up another Churchill for this time and, and age. So thank you so much for this time. Um, if you'd like to listen to learn more about Jonathan and see a lot of resources, you can visit his website, which is www.leadlightchurchill.org. And please visit Wallace's site. You'll see many resources there. And his, his website is www.wallacehenley.com. You can order God and Churchill everywhere books are sold, and be sure to get one. You will be blessed by it. Thanks, fellows. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you very much indeed, Sharon. You take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye now.